If you would go with me in your Bible, they'll put this on the screens. Um, to Luke chapter 15, obviously I'm going to hone in on verses 11 through 32 the most, which is a story you're going to know probably is the story of the prodigal son. Uh, but it, we're, we're going to add so much context and layers and insight and understanding to this. And, and look, if I could just clarify at the beginning, Stacy, what I'm after, what my motive is. I'm, I don't have to sneak in around the back door. I'm coming through the front door today. The, the title of this talk together this morning is just simply Family Matters. And when I say that, I'm talking about this family, Oaks Church family. And I'm talking about the matters at hand that are the most important to me in this season, right? The matters to me that are the most important in this season. Um, I guess it would kind of be like the dad at the house being like, hey, this week we need to do this, 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 right? Just want to give some direction, give some insight. I think that's fairly easy for me to do, but at the same time, I want to be working diligently to protect the heart of Oaks Church, what makes it different to me, what, what makes it different. And uh, to do that, there's this, there's this one verse that I'm going to pick out before we get started. And it's verse 20 of Luke 15. I don't know if they'll be able to scroll there, but if, even if they can't scroll there, let's hear it for the media team. They, they do such a great job. Um, even if they can't scroll there, it's simple. Just listen to me for just a second. It says this. So he, referring to the second son, the prodigal son, the younger son. So he returned home to his father. And you know this. And while he was a still a long ways off, his father saw him coming. And, and most of us, because we've been that kind of guy, that kind of girl, we've all been in a pig pen in life somewhere and, and, and got to thinking about how much better life would be with God if we would just get out of the pig pen. Many of us have made a turn, multiple turns in our lives and gone back. And so for me, I get so excited when I read a verse like that, I just kind of stop. I just, I just don't see the rest of it. Um, but as I was continuing to pour over this, this passage the last several days, um, actually the last week, to be honest, I saw something that I felt like was very important to us at Oaks Church as a family matter. He saw somebody a long ways off, and uh, instead of waiting on him to get there, he went to them. He, he went to them. He went to the son. Pastor Jensen Franklin has a great teaching. I don't want to try to rip it off today, but he develops um, the thought that in the Old Testament, not in the Levitical law, but in Jewish tradition, if a son left home in a disrespectful manner, when they ever returned back to their village, back to their hometown, or back to their family, if the father was not accepting of their return, the elders in the city would break pot shards all on the ground, and they would make that child walk through broken glass in order to come back home. So Jensen says that the reason the father ran was to get to him before religion could. To, to get to him before the law could, to get to him before the voices said, you got to crawl on your knees through glass before you can ever come back home. And here's why. Because he was filled with love and compassion. 
He was filled with love and compassion. Love and compassion. I don't know why I always skip that. Like, what was the motivator? I think I was just always so excited to know I was a pig pen child. And somebody looked at me way down the road, ran to me, got to me before religion could, and restored me. I just never saw the reason why the Father would do that. Because he's loving and he's compassionate. What are you saying today, Pastor John? I'm saying today what has always made Oaks Church different and what will always make Oaks Church different is the people here are loving and compassionate. Loving and compassionate. If I'm going to speak to you today about a family matter, it doesn't matter if Pastor Tyler Cook's preaching here, Aubrey, Kelly, uh, Chad, doesn't matter if Courtney, doesn't matter who's standing here from day to day or week to week. Not that I'm saying I'm not. I'm saying I am. That's what I'm telling you today. 90 days is over today. What I'm telling you is it doesn't matter who stands in this pulpit. It matters what you have in your heart when you go to the coffee shop this afternoon, when you go to the football game this evening at somebody's house, when you go out to work this week and the type of employee you are, how you treat people on good days and bad days, good situations, tough. It matters. Your witness matters. Your light matters. Your life matters as you represent the gospel through the ministry of Oaks Church by being loving and compassionate. What have I always said? about people here. We accept everybody. Anybody can come to church. Now, it don't mean I'm going to affirm you and say, hey, this is okay. This is okay. This is, there's things that the Lord is doing that in all of our lives. We're all working out our own salvation, hopefully with fear and trembling, that the Lord is growing us. But I want you here just as long as you're engaged in that process. It doesn't matter to me if you're at half step one or if you've taken all the steps and you're repeating the course again. I don't care where you're at in your walk of faith. Oaks Church is a place for all people. We accept all people doesn't mean we affirm all things. It just means we love people. Preach truth, give grace. I'm going to need it. You're going to need it. Family matters today. Coming at this subject of being loving and compassionate. To best do that this morning, I really got to go back just a little bit to the beginning of the chapter. And uh, I'm going to be kind to Pastor Chad this morning and just let him take a break because this is going to take a little while and he'll look up in a minute and have stood up here this whole time with me. Would you put your hands together and honor love on Pastor Chad? All right, bow your heads with me. Bow your heads. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you today for your word. God, thank you for your anointing. God, thank you for these amazing people, the ministry of Oaks Church. Thank you, God, for restoration and the opportunity to be here today and to be preaching and to be going forward with all of our ministries, all of our lives. God, I just pray this morning that your word would do what it has been sent to do, build up, tear down, encourage, convict. Make us more like your son. Feed our faith, strengthen our walks. Help us when we leave here today to be the light of the world, an encouragement, a smell, an aroma to the world around us that is dead and dying of life and vitality that they're attracted to. I pray it today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. So let's back up instead of going in. Right now is when I usually go in. This morning we're going to back up and just take a general overview of Luke chapter 15. Does anybody know what the context of Luke 15 is about? It's about the lost, absolutely. What do we see there? We see lost sheep, we see a lost coin, we see a lost son. If you were to zoom in just a little bit further, 
you would see that there's one common thread among them all being lost. And it's the ability to rejoice when something that is lost has been found. Have, have you ever met somebody that couldn't be happy when you got a good break? You, you know some of those people? You got some of those? You need to get those people out of your boat. Just get those people out of your boat. You get them out of your boat. Leave them in Nineveh. Leave them in Nineveh. Just jump out of the ship in the water. Get God's whale to pick you up and drop you off where you're supposed to be. Man, it is tough to get ahead in life. Matter of fact, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I was talking with Philip this morning. I was sharing with the staff on Tuesday. I was like, I have no idea what goes on between Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but there is so much spiritual warfare for me right now between Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays to get here on Sundays and to be prepared to do what we need to do. It's just, it's just spiritual. It's, it's, it's truly extraterrestrial. It's not just human. The reason I say that is one of the attacks that the enemy constantly uses on me is words, words, assumptions, opinions, people's words, people's thoughts, people's feelings. And boy, they have a way of tearing you down. They have a way of making you come to believe what other people believe. Faith comes by hearing. You do know that, right? And it don't matter what you hear. If what you hear enough is wrong, you will believe wrong. It, it, you, you're going to believe whatever you hear indefinitely, good or bad. Anybody ever told a lie long enough you believed it? <laughs> I remember when I was a little boy, man, I was 12, 13, I wanted to run around the 15, 16 years old. Girls and boys would go the road. I told them all I was 15 or 16. Somebody asked me how old I was one time. I forgot. I didn't even know. I'd have been lying so long about how old I was. I didn't remember. I didn't know you could hear the wrong thing too many times till you believe it. I want you to see in this passage here, as we're zooming in, what he's actually trying to teach Jesus in his lifetime is when people catch good breaks, when restoration happens, when recovery happens, when a son in a pig pen comes home, when a coin that couldn't be found without the help of the Word of God and the Spirit of God is now resurfacing in somebody's life, we need to rejoice over this with people. We need to be excited Bobby made a new video. We need to be excited Jay's plumbing business is going great. We need to be builders up of people, but more importantly, in church, when we see things that were lost, restored, that's something the gospel says has to be celebrated, mandates it. Jesus mandates it. Takes a whole chapter and says, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Let's talk about that lost sheep. Check this out. I love the way this starts. I never put this together to a couple of months ago. I have already taught this thought here before about two months ago, three months ago. Listen to this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Never realized that's how Luke 15 started. The whole context is here is Jesus is teaching the gospel to people that religion says shouldn't hear it. Religion is saying, we're Pharisees, we're scribes, we're Sadducees, we don't want you over here teaching this gospel that God loves the world, he's going to save the world, you can repent of your sins, be forgiven, spend eternity with God in heaven. We don't want that taught, so they started drumming up trouble for Jesus. This made the Pharisees and all the teachers of religious law complain because they could not believe Jesus would waste his time with such sinful people, check this out, and that he even ate with them. Like, I think it's so important that Luke, the physician, who's the author here, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, felt the need to say he not only kicked it with them, but he ate with them. <laughs> and they had a problem with both. <laughs> not just one, both. All right? 
So Jesus told them this story. Who is the them, Bobby? The context is the religious leaders. He said, hey, let me help you guys. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 and leave all the others in the wilderness and go in search of the one? He won't stop until he finds it. And when he has found it, check this out, he will joyfully carry it on his shoulders home. And teach you something about shepherding. How many of your grandmother have one of those pictures of Jesus with the little lamb around his neck and the shepherd's crew? If you look at that picture, a lot of them, the lamb has a bandaged leg. It's a bandaged leg because what the shepherds would eventually do for sheep that continued to wander off is break a leg intentionally and then bandage it so that the sheep learn to be dependent on the shepherd for food and water so they'd never leave his side. Picture of how God not causing us to have broken legs, but will allow us through his love and compassion to get out there and break our legs sometimes so that we get bandaged up and say, okay, I think I'll stay close to Jesus right now. I think, I think I'll just stay here right now. So it says, look, he, he has him on his shoulders. He's, he's bringing him home. And check this out. He will joyfully, he's happy about it. Like, I'm happy. I'm out here in the wilderness. I didn't get to watch the game today. I'm out here looking for a sheep. I got a thousand reasons to be mad. I'm hot. I'm sweaty. Bugs. No, I found this lost sheep and I'm happy about it. We teach our staff, all of our staff. They said, one of them, uh, Aubrey asked, I think this past week, he said, so, so what is the Wednesday night routine look like at Oaks Church? And I said, well, that's easy. On Sunday mornings, it's always been about the one. We leave the 99 on Sunday morning to go after the one. We're looking for lost people on Sunday morning. But Wednesday night at Oaks Church with small groups and youth ministry and kids ministry, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, all of those things are for the 99. Those are for you to get involved in, to continue your journey, to continue your walk, to continue to develop into the man or woman that God wants you to be. It's the 99 in one principle. Sunday morning, Super Bowl Sunday, pack it out, fill it up, worship to the heights, spend the light, sing to the heavens, preach the gospel under the anointing, see lost people saved. That's our, that's our motto. That's what we believe in here. At the same exact time, I don't want to see you in the same situation you've always been in. So it's my responsibility, I don't care who says what, to be involved in your life to some degree. Now, obviously, we can talk about structure. We can talk about boundaries. We can talk about when to meet and where to meet and who to talk to and all of that. But I don't have the luxury of looking at you and saying, well, he's in a bad spot. She's in a bad spot. I can just leave them there. I have to put in a plan, build a ministry, hire a staff member, think of an inroad, get you to dinner, begin a relationship, have a conversation, something that helps you begin to grow. That's my job. I, I don't know that I would want to go to a church where I looked at people and said, well, I don't care if their marriages are failing. Well, I don't care if their finances are funny. Well, I don't care if their children are dis disrespectful. No, I'm like, hey, I see people, and I see people lost, wandering in the wilderness, and the shepherd's heart inside of me says, I got to get out there somehow and figure out how to help them come home. Talking about family matters this morning. So he joyfully returns with this lamb on his shoulders, and check this out. When he arrives, he will call together all of his friends and neighbors, saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Just imagine you left here today. Think about the friends in your life. And you said, 
hey, something great happened. This is a big deal. We're going to have a little party this afternoon. Are you coming? How many of you have good enough friends that would say, I'll be there. I'm coming to celebrate. We're going to celebrate that with you Friday night, right? How many of you know that some of us, when you reached out to some of these people, they would say, well, I got to go somewhere. We're going on a trip. Sorry, I'm going out to the mall. Sorry, we don't have time. We're playing ball this afternoon. Uh, I can't rejoice. I'm not really even excited about that, so I'm not even going to come pretend like I'm excited about it because I'm not going to be excited about it. So (laughs) I'm just trying to reemphasize here. He takes a whole chapter. I can talk about Oaks Church Heart being loving and compassionate. I'm talking about Jesus taking a whole chapter out of the Bible. He tells three of the greatest parables that we've ever heard. We still preach them today. There's still more depth and insight in them than any of us have the marking gathered on its understanding yet. And in this, he says, here's what's important. Be sure to be a person that when restoration happens, it excites you. It excites you. When you see people's lives being restored. In the same way, he says, look, we're wanting earth to be like heaven. Because in the same way, I want you to know what's happening in heaven. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who believe they are righteous and have say they've never strayed away. What he's saying is when a lost person comes home, when there's restoration, it excites heaven. And if you want to line up with heaven, like all Christians say, oh, I want to be Bible-based Christian. Oh, I want to be scriptural. Oh, I want to be like the kingdom of heaven. Okay, well, you can't get no more scriptural, no more Bible-based, no more like heaven than having the heart of God. And God's heart says when a drug addict comes home, when somebody's struggling with addiction, when somebody's struggling in their marriage, when somebody's struggling with alcohol, when somebody's struggling with whatever comes to this altar, lays it down and repents and cries out to God for his mercy, a joyous party kicks off in heaven. And it don't matter if you like them, care for them, believe them, trust them. None of that matters because heaven outweighs earth. And if you want to be like heaven, get your dancing shoes on, be excited over restoration. I love this one. All right. So, you know, Jesus says, I'm, I'm kind of thinking you boys are slow of hearing, so I'm going to teach you something else. I'm going to give you another example, because I don't think the first analogy worked. He said, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. I don't know that I ever have coins in my pocket. I literally stuck my hands in my pocket and I thought, why did I not leave these in my truck? And then I read the verse that said coins, silver coins. I looked in my pocket and they were all silver coins, unintentional. Has anybody ever heard any analogies or illustrations of what these coins can represent? Anybody ever heard any, any preaching on this? There's a lot of thought out there, a lot of different schools of thought out there. But, but one of these things that we would just say, if we were to use Scripture to interpret Scripture, called the fence of Scripture, doesn't Jesus talk about distributing talents? Now, we think talents is I can sing or I can play or I can preach or I can dance or I can love, but, but they went and buried it in the ground. You, you can't bury your ability to sing in the ground. That's not what he's talking about. He was talking about money. It's talents. So I gave one 3,000. I gave one 5,000. I gave one 500. And this one took five, made five more. This one took three, made three more. This one said, oh God, he's coming back for it. What do I do with it? I better just go bury it and save it. 
So these coins, I think, can represent in our lives, if we just let Scripture interpret Scripture, the blessings that God has bestowed in our lives. Your talents, your gifts, your provision, your status, your place in life. And so this story tells us that this woman has lost one of these coins, lost one of these coins, okay? And the Bible says that there's 10 silver coins, and now she only has nine. I can think of a lot of illustrations in the Bible, too, that deal with the numbers nine and the number 10, nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. So it could be that, that you know, this person here is metaphorically struggling because they've lost their love, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. In the book of Revelation, Jesus tells the church of Ephesus, return to your first love. You've lost your love. You've become the loveless church. You've lost your zeal, your passion for me. I'm just trying to paint a dire picture here. This, this precious woman has 10 silver coins. She loses one. And the Bible says immediately she does something that should give all of us some basic instruction when we're going on these search and rescue missions in our lives. She turned on the lamp of the Holy Spirit. She, she turned on the lamp of the... How many of you know you and the Holy Spirit can do more than you can do? And, and how many of you know the Holy Spirit on you, in you, moving through you, can do more for you to see loved ones saved, to see them restored? She lights a lamp of the Holy Spirit. And then check this out. The Bible says she gets out the broom of God's Word. And she starts making a thorough sweep and a search of everything in her heart, everything in her cupboard, everything in her life, looking for where this gift may have went missing, looking where this coin may have been lost, looking where I got off track. Holy Spirit, Word of God. You got a recipe for restoration. You got a recipe for things to be rediscovered. Checks this out. All of a sudden, she's searching carefully, inspecting her heart. She finds it. And when she finds it, she will call all of her friends and neighbors. And they're going to say, girl, that ain't nothing to me. I got 30 coins. Girl, that ain't nothing to me. My soap opera's on. Girl, the Cowboys are playing tonight. Man, we're going, we're going to this, this shindig. I don't have time. No, these friends that she has are such good and true friends. They come over and they begin to rejoice with her. And they have a celebration in the same way as the story of the lost sheep, as those people did, because they were glad that something that was lost has been found. I know that's not super exciting. It's not super appealing, but it's super important to me today. It's super important to the heart of Oaks Church. He tells this same story. And in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. There's, there's, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. Has anybody ever heard any thought on that? Joy in the presence of God's angels. That's a funny way to say that. If the angels are happy, just say the angels are happy. No, it's telling you the angels are centered around the throne of God and they see God happy and it brings joy to their presence because the joy is coming from the throne of the Father. So they share in his joy. So then earth should mimic heaven and as God's heart is joyful over restoration, it should be the angel's heart and it should be the church's heart to find joy in restoration. Amen. Come on, you can put your hands together for God's word for that. All right, now here we go. He says, and to illustrate the point further, have, do we have any of those friends that you have to tell the same thing three times for them to get it? Okay, well, these were those kind of friends. He says, okay, since you didn't get it, 
<laughs> about the sheep and you didn't get it over the coin. Here's the third one. I'm going to tell you the story of the prodigal son. No, it's not what it says for us. He says, I want to illustrate this point further. So Jesus told them a story. And the first statement is there was a man who had two sons. So many of us have been the prodigal. That's all we see is the prodigal story. But there is another son in this story. He, he's actually, if you want me to be honest with you, I'm going to show this to you in the book of Deuteronomy today. He's actually the more important son in the story. I promise. It's going to be good. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want the share of your estate to be divided for us now. I don't want to wait for you to die. So his father agreed and divided his wealth between his sons. Does everybody, everybody follow that, what just happened? So this is not Western thought. I, I don't know if you know uh, how, how Middle Eastern uh, um, multi-generational home dwellings work then or work now. But this whole American Western thing where like we're 18 and we leave and cleave and we move out and we pay our own bills and we get away from mom and dad, that, that's, not, that's not Middle Eastern. When, when you hear Jesus recite the story of let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many mansions. Where I go, I go to prepare a place for you. That is a part of the marriage ritual for every Jewish boy still today when he declares his love to a betrothed wife he begins to say let me go to prepare a place for you in my father's house there are many rooms there and when I get our dwelling set up I will come for you and take you to go with me where I am also working in our family multi-generational business and dwelling they might know that Jesus is quoting Jewish lore when he quotes that in the scripture in John 14 about how Jewish men went and got their wives and brought them home to their father's home to begin their lives and their family's business. Middle Eastern men didn't wait till their passing to leave all of their assets to their children. This was not disrespectful for a son to say, I'm of age, help me start my livelihood now. Don't take it the way we would take it in the West. However, what does happen, I want you to see this, is he divided his livelihood between the both of his sons, both sons. He didn't just do one son, he did both sons. It's right there, verse 12. So he divided his wealth. That word wealth in Greek is bios. It's where we get biology, the study. He took everything, he took his living, what made him alive. He took all of his livelihood and his wealth, and he divided it with both of his children that day, both of them. All right, let's go on a little bit further. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all of his belongings and he moved to a distant country. So if these are Jewish people and they moved to a distant country, this is a Gentile land. And there the Bible says he squandered or wasted his wealth, his money with wild living. About this time, his money ran out. <laughs> Bottom of the barrel. A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his field to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry that he was even lusting, imagining if he could just eat the husk, the pods, the, 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 the exterior shell of an ear of corn, that he was having to feed the pigs, but no one gave unto him anything. Pretty tough place to be. Check this out. 17. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, 
At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And yet here I am in this foreign land and I'm dying with hunger. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back home to my father and I'm going to just tell my dad I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me back and just make me a hired servant. Has anybody ever made a deal like that with God? Maybe those of you in here that have been in some real trouble before in life. Maybe you, you, you thought you made some negotiation with God where, God, if you'll just do this, I'll do that. You were keeping yourself busy those few moments in your mind entertained when, when you were saying those things to God. But that, that's not how God works, my friend. You don't, you don't make deals with God. Check this out. Verse 18, I will go to my father's house and tell him all these things. Just make me one of your servants. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him coming. And his father's heart was moved with love and compassion. The love and compassion that he had said, I got to go out here and get my son and bring him back before religion cuts him to pieces, making him walk through broken glass to come back in to a menial existence when I can get there first and restore him to sonship. So he runs out there. He embraces him. He kisses him. He didn't say, how much money do you have left? He didn't say, where'd you stay last night? He didn't say, how rough was it? He didn't say, let me smell your breath. He didn't say, how late was you? He, did, he just said, I love you. I'm glad to see you. Let me kiss you. His son said, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Father's like, I don't want to hear none of that nonsense. Hey, servants, quick. Go get the finest clothes we got in the house. Go get the Gucci. Go get the Louis Vuitton. Go get the best robe. Go get the biggest ring. Put it back on his finger. Give him the right to do business in the family name immediately. And put some shoes on that boy's feet. So if he has to make any transactions out at the gate, he can have a shoe of authority to make transactions in my name because he's a son of this house. That's how he ran out. That's what he was doing. That's why the robe, the ring, and the sandals are mentioned because all of those were necessary to do business in a family name. That's why he put them all back on him. He gave him all his authority back immediately. And he says, that's not the end of it. I want you to go kill the fatted calf. Now, does anybody know what a fatted calf is? It isn't, hey, I'm looking out there. That one's skinny. That one's real skinny. Oh, that one's kind of plump. Kill that one. No, the fatted calf is one that hasn't been to graze. It's one they keep in a stall. It's one they keep in a feedlot that all they do is just fatten it. Just fatten the hogs, just fatten the, the steer. I want you to see in the picture of this fatted calf that this father had made a decision to cut an animal out of his herd, put it in a feeding trough, and by faith every day he was going out there feeding that calf in faith that one day that son was coming around that corner. He had that calf prepared for that boy to come home. And here he is talking about, oh, I just, I'll just be a servant. He's saying, shut up. I knew you was coming back home to be my son before you even left to not be my son. For this son of mine was dead, and he is now returned alive. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. How many sons? Okay. Meanwhile... Meanwhile, I guess he got mean because he was out there working for a while, I guess. I mean, I mean, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields. Anybody know what happens in the field? It, it's, it's so amazing to me. It really is. 
And this is probably TMI, but I'm going to say it anyways. It is amazing to me how church or how religion for people that work the most or do the most or are responsible for the most, how that veils our eyes and our heart, how, how that fools us into thinking we can treat people ways because of who we are or what we do for the kingdom of God or for the church. It, it, it's, it's, it's deceptive. It is very deceptive. People that, that get so immersed in being big workers in the church get the meanest spirits. Get the meanest spirits. Get the meanest spirits, man. It's, 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 it's the work. It does it to you. Over time, you've got to protect that intimacy, that gentle, tender spirit with God. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working, and when he returned home, check this out. He heard music, and he heard dancing, and it was so foreign to him. It was, listen, this is so foreign to him. He has to ask somebody else what is going on. How many of you, if you walk up to the house, you hear music and dancing, you know it's a... He don't, he's a worker. He's a laborer. He's a, he's a, I ate lunch with my dear buddy, Philip Williams, this week. Doug Pollock, Chad Parker, Chuck Pruitt, and we happened to see some of Philip's employees at this restaurant. And uh, Fat Pelican, catch me there weekly. They got a great chicken plate. It fits my macros. And Philip saw his guys. And they were like, oh, boss, we're just leaving. We're heading back to the office. And Philip said, you got five minutes to be there. <laughs> you got five minutes to be there. I looked at Chad. And Chad said, I'm glad you don't do me like that. <laughs> just kidding. I looked at Chad and said, I'm glad you don't do me like that. Listen, this guy says, what is going on in there? This is foreign to me. I'm a worker. I'm out here laboring. We got stuff to do. You got to be at work in five minutes. Get your coat on. Boy, we ain't got no time to be partying, to be celebrating. He don't even deserve to be celebrated. Get back out here and feed these animals or fix these fences or cut this grass or do this work, whatever it is. Your brother's back, the servant said. And your father went out there and killed the fatted cat that he'd been fattening every day. And we're celebrating because your daddy has his son back. The older brother, I love what the King James says, says he was wroth. W-R-O-T-H, wroth. Wroth means angry. The older brother became wroth. He became smitten with anger. And check this out. He said, I ain't going. I ain't going there. That's, that's too much like heaven, I guess. That's too much like God, I guess. That's restoration. Man, people are excited. I'm not going to that. I'm mad about it, and they need to know it. I can't find that in Scripture, Britain. Can't find that in Scripture. Says he wouldn't go in. Here's what I love about God. How many brothers are in this story? What did the, what did the father do to the first brother? Went running out to him to save him, right? Check this out. I love this about our God. The older brother was angry, wouldn't go in, and the same daddy came out to him. The same God that went running to the prodigal went running to the religious. And he says, hold on, what in the world's going on with you? 
And he says, Dad, are you ready for this? Like, I literally have been here the whole time, like consecutively, never missed a day. You got that? I never did anything wrong. I did everything you asked. You've never gave me freedom. You've never gave me liberty. You've never celebrated me. You never killed the fatty cat. You never let my friends come. You've never honored me like this. And I've always been here working and laboring for you all my life. And the daddy says, oh my God, you mean to tell me you've been in my house, but you don't know my heart? He said, son, all I have is yours. I gave it to you the same day I gave your little brother his. But you never used any of what I gave you. Because you don't know me, you just work for me. That's what he told him. He said, all I have is yours. You could have taken anything that I have that I gave to you and done with it what you wanted. Deuteronomy 21 and 7, now go check this out. The older son in the Jewish religion, either from a loved wife or an unloved wife, was always, always, always commanded to receive a double portion blessing when the estate was demanded to be divided. He didn't have a single portion. He had a double portion, and he missed every bit of it. Never used a drop of it. Number one, they're going, they're going to put this on the screen. These are the three talking points that I wanted to talk to Oaks Church about today, and I'm going to ask Pastor Chad if he'll start coming back up here. Number one, put this on the screens. He's given us all that he has. Now, Chad, I, I've never done this in my life. Pastor Chad, I've never seen, I've never, I've never preached this way in my life. It was totally the Holy Spirit. I've spent days centered around this passage. But I have never seen two passages in the Bible simultaneously line up with point and scripture, point and scripture, as much as Ephesians chapter one lines up with these three talking points that I'm going to share with you today. I'm going to show it to you from Luke 15 first. I've already done it. He's given us all that he has. The younger son told his father, I want my share of my goods of the estate before you die. So the father agreed, and he divided his wealth between both of his sons. Okay? Bobby, he gave him everything. Here's what the Bible tells us. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. All praise should go to God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ every day for those of us who are Christians. Because God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms when we were united with him in Christ Jesus. Even before he made the world, God loved you and he chose you in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes through what his son did for you on your behalf. Like, like, listen, I'm going to just sit right here for a minute. I, uh, I don't know if that sets in the way that it sets in on me right now. Bobby, tell me something you need this week. Just, t just tell me something you need. Patience. Oh, God. Anybody here need patience? Does everybody know not to pray for patience? 
the Lord will give you some situations to learn patience. Just prophesy that you are patient. Let's try that approach. God, I am patient. God, I am patient. God, I am patient. You, you know what will help you be patient, honestly? The U.S. mail system. <laughs> Seriously. When I spent all them years in Department of Corrections and I, had, I couldn't have them phone calls, I had to wait on that mail. It helped me be a little more patient. Huh? Help me be patient with people, patient with Christians, patient with marriage, patient with life, patient with addiction. Just patient. It's just a process. How many of you love the boom, my life's different? I love that. Boom, instantaneous, miraculous. Boom, he fixed it. I love that. But I've also discovered throughout my years, other things are in motion. They're in process. It takes a while. Say, so what's that got to do with anything, Pastor John? I'm talking about he's given you everything. So the truth of the matter really is... When he gave you Christ and Christ gave you the Holy Spirit, he gave you the fruit of the Spirit and patience is in there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, temperance, self-control. Against such there is no law. You have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you, Bobby. What the world wants you and I to do, it's just deception, it's just the enemy, it's just the way it's all arranged, is to get out there working in our own strength, trying to do it ourselves, Doug Pollock, like we talked about this week, muscling through. And what happens is when you're operating in you and self, in your flesh, eventually the fruit of the flesh comes out. Anger, malice, wrath, jealousy, envy. People start seeing because it's flesh, not spirit. We, we work in our flesh and we can't produce the fruit of the spirit. It's no different than the son who got out there working in the field, faithful, nobody, impeccable record, A, B, honor roll, principles list, never missed a day. Do y'all go to those things at your kid's school where some little kid walks up there and they say, never missed a day of school from kindergarten to 12th grade? I'm like, who are them kids' parents? They should let that kid go hunting or something. <laughs> I mean, I, like, this guy had an impeccable record. He didn't never miss a day. But yet he didn't know what he had. He had a great record. Never missed a day, but a jerk. Never missed a day. Faithful Mabel. But boy, you didn't want to eat lunch with him. <laughs> Looked like he was weaned on dill pickle. <laughs> Nothing good in the world. Nothing positive in the world. Nothing to be smiling or happy about. Terrible. And so he's a jerk. So he's in his flesh. Why are we celebrating? Ain't nobody got time for that. He went out there and wasted all my daddy's money. He ought not even be able to come here. And dad, dad's looking at his son going, how in the world have you lived with me all these years and you don't have my heart? How, how in God's name are you my child? You have my blood. And you've got one half right, but you don't have the most important half. Right. Put it up there. He's given you everything he has. Oh, God has given us everything he has. Okay. So these are not janitorial closet doors. But Aubrey, run over there and hit that panic bar for me, Pastor, please. Just bam, hit that. Make it loud. Make it make some noise. Okay. I'm just telling you, whether you like it or not, you can be mad at me if you want to. I'm not saying it to make you mad at me. 
But if you really believe God kept something back from you and there's some janitorial closet in heaven where he's got extra resources that he's waiting for you to get good enough that he finally starts dishing out in your life, your theology is whack. That is not what the Bible says. God gave you everything he had out of all of the resources in heaven when he gave you Christ Jesus. He is wisdom. He is peace. He is anointing. He is grace. He is mercy. He is patience. More importantly, he is your forgiveness. He is your restoration. He is your sins are gone. You now stand holy. Listen to me. You stand holy and justified in the sight of God. Listen to me, people. That is either true or not. You are either standing in God's sight holy and just as if you never sinned or you're a sinner and you're not but what I get so confused about Christians is some of them think or forget that that's the truth I think they think well I have it right now because I'm acting right and I'm going to work every day and I've been out here laboring fixing this fence so I'm saved Well, he ain't over here laboring. He's not out here in the fence. He's not out here goose picking grass. So he don't have it. He lost his salvation. He's not just as if he's never sinned. He got to get re-saved. Listen to me. You can't get saved again, again. Your spirit can never be born again. When your spirit gets born again and you go down the rabbit hole through the matrix and you take the red pill and you wake up and everything you used to love, you hate and everything you used to hate, now you love, that's called being born again. That can only happen one time to your spirit. When you get regenerated and born again, it is for eternity. You are forgiven just as if you've never sinned. Standing in the prison. Now, don't mean you're going to do everything right. Don't mean people are always going to agree with everything you do. But here's what you can know. When God gave you Christ, don't matter what they think, it's what he thinks. And he says you're just as if you never sinned. Don't you love it when some Christians say, well, my sins are forgiven, but yours are not. Oh, Jesus got that selective atonement. (laughs) Jesus got that selective atonement where he picks and chooses whose sins he'll atone for. No, I got news for you. It was for the sin of the world. Jesus didn't die for Christians. Jesus died for a lost, broken, and hurting world. And just in case you've forgotten it, you're a part of that. I'm a part of that. Number two, God only has sons and daughters, not servants. Does everybody realize that here? I don't care if you're on the brew team. I don't care if you're on the parking lot team. I don't care if you're on the cord roll-up team. I don't care if you're on the music team. I don't care if you're on the pastor or staff team. There, there ain't no job descriptions. There's only two things, sons and daughters. That, that's it. You, you, can't be, you, you can't be a, subsur, a, a subsidiary son or daughter. There, it's just children. It's just sons and daughters in the kingdom of heaven. You, you can't even have a wife. You can't even have a husband. Just sons and daughters. Married to the Lamb, you are the bride of Christ, the church, and the church is the wife of Christ. And he presents his wife spotless and blameless to the Father. Never be married again. Sons and daughters for eternity. Check this out. I showed it to you in Luke 15. But his father said to his servants, quick, go get the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals on his feet, and kill that calf I've been fattening up. We got to celebrate with a feast. Because my lost son that was dead has now come home. He ain't no cotton-picking servant. He is my son and shall be restored to full rights the very first time he walks in my house. 
he was lost, but now he's found. I love what the New Living Translation says. It says, so let the party begin. Let the party begin. Remember that promise I told you about Ephesians running parallel? Ephesians 1, 3, and 4 ran parallel with he's given us all that he has. He gave us all spiritual blessings. Now check this one out. You ready? God decided in advance, this is verse 5 of Ephesians chapter 1, God decided in advance to adopt us into his family, making us his sons and daughters, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted, and it gave God great pleasure to make you his children. You, you know what Ephesians is saying? It's saying exactly what Luke 15 is saying. He's saying, I've given you everything that I have. Welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. Ephesians is saying, I've given you all that I have. Welcome home, sons and daughters. Most important one today, and we're going to get ready to go. My favorite. I love it. Here it is. Don't be the type of son or daughter. Don't be the type of believer that constantly makes it your drive, your desire to be in the presence of God, but then lose the compassion of God. Don't, 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 don't make it your pursuit to be a worker, to be a Martha, to be a laborer, and then get mean. Don't live in God's house and never give any attention to his heart. Is, is his heart your heart? Listen to this. His father said to him, look, this is the older brother. He said, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me. Everything I have, even your double portion, is yours. Don't you understand? We had to celebrate and be happy this day. This is what we're supposed to do. This is the heart of our God towards lost people. It's my heart as a father towards my lost son. We had to celebrate. Your brother was dead. Your sister was dead. She's back. She's alive. We still got a shot. She can get free. She can get clean. She can get sober. She can work out her sexuality. She can have a new life, a future, a hope. It needed to happen and she's found. Let's celebrate that. That's what needs to be going on today. All right, watch. Ephesians, so crazy, so crazy. <laughs> watch, what, watch what Paul says here. He said, so we praise God. What are we praising God for? He gave us all that he had. He made us his children, sons and daughters. Paul said, it means we start celebrating. We start praising. We praise God for the glorious grace that he's poured out on all humanity, those of us that he's made his dear children, we belong to him now. It's because he's so rich in kindness, he's so rich in grace, that he purchased my freedom with the blood of his son, and he forgave all of our sins. He has showered us in his kindness. He sprinkled it on every one of us. Also, along with all wisdom and all understanding and all things that we will ever need. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, if you're going to come to the Father, come to his house, have his heart. Have his heart. A heart that says... I'm going to rejoice, not reject. 
A, a heart that says, I'm going to be helpful, not hurtful. A, a, a heart that says, oh my God, I cannot believe all he has done for me. How could I not want someone else to have this in spite of who they are or what the world says they are?